1: This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome into the Straight Up Breakdown podcast, proudly part of the Hill Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith, your, I'm kind of recharged after a little bit of a weekend away, but then we had some random plumbing issues yesterday uh, that took us away out of our normal schedule. So it's been a week already, and it is only actually Tuesday morning uh, when we're recording this. But today I'm lucky enough to be joined by AM590 radio host Nick Hanley. Nick, thanks for being back on the show, man. How are you? I'm good. You're good to join me today too, right? On my show? Yes, I, okay. I will be there right. um, at 2.30 for my my, my normal okay. spot uh, with you on Tuesdays talking all things Nebraska recruiting because it's That's not right. as if there's nothing to talk about, right? We've, we've got not plenty uh, to dive into. Now, before we get into the show, Nick, I want to ask you. So as I mentioned that we got recharged. So over the weekend, we kind of took a little quick sneaky trip out of town, went to Kansas City because uh, my really good friend, best friend, Jeff and his wife are pregnant. So we kind of did their final hurrah uh, in Kansas City, which is really his final hurrah. Uh, um, hanging out out there in Kansas City. Are you a bourbon drinker at all or a whiskey drinker? I do. You know, in fact, here, I'll, I'll just, Uh-oh. you know, I'll, or live, this is, <laughs> this is the one. I've been told this is, that's the one. Okay, Old
0: Forester. The Old Forester.
1: Yeah. So that is not one. That's great for the video. Uh, that is not one that I tried this weekend. And I'm trying to now that since you pulled up something, I'm going to try to pull this up. Um, so I was, this is going to sound super fancy. I was in Barnes & Noble a couple weeks ago, right? You know, they got all the magazines in there, including Hill Varsity Magazine. Make sure you're picking yep. that up. Um, and it was a, like, best whiskeys, like, in the world, like, magazine. And so I'm just kind of thumbing through this. And so I, I took some pictures of a few that I thought, okay, if I'm ever in a spot that has a wide selection, I'm going to try a bunch of these and see where it goes. So we went to this really great place in Kansas City um, over the weekend, and they had a handful of the ones that I took pictures of, and I put it on my, on my Instagram account. It's in the stories, at The one that I thought was my favorite one, and it is Rabbit Hole High Gold 10-Year. Have you heard of that? I've, I've heard of it. I've never had it. Uh, a guy
0: that, in fact, you know, you and I both being Chicago Bears fans, um i I call him our colleague he's kind enough to come on our show every now and then uh carmen defalco of espn 1000 in chicago he is a huge whiskey and huge bourbon guy so he does a lot of uh recommendations and the last time i had him on i was asking him he was the one who gave me the the seal of approval on the old forester uh because it's the prohibition style but yeah. That one you mentioned, I think was like in his top five. So yeah, it's a, it's a, a really pretty, it's a pretty good it. one, especially if it's coming from Carmen. I, I trust him. I'm more of a novice bourbon guy. I like Irish whiskey, Okay. um, like beer, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely am starting to really look into some of the finer ones now that I've kind of adjusted the palette if that
1: okay. makes sense so yeah that yeah. makes sense so and it was the interesting thing was that I, I thought that it would be more expensive than it was i think it was somewhere in like the 50 60 dollar range for the whole bottle yeah. uh to get at the store not at the bar <laughs> um and yeah. so which it, to me was pretty good because there's a couple of them like we went out there's a place i all uh, one that i always recommend stranahan's out in denver because mm-hmm. uh, we did the tour out there and that one is is the couple like a 20 bucks or so more than that um and so, definitely, I definitely recommend that. It was voted best Kentucky uh, bourbon in this magazine, the best one out of Kentucky. And so, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's the lifeblood of Kentucky right there. So, if it's, <laughs> right. if it's getting the high recommendations from the great state of Kentucky, then I think, I think you're doing something good.
1: Hey guys, before we get to coach speak, I've got a fantastic opportunity for you to work for a rapidly growing company that enjoys the benefits earned with having a competitive, stable history of over 20 years, FCS Edge. FCS Edge is a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies. They support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the US and Europe, including European Patent Office, the German Trademark and Patent Office, plus the US Patent and Trademark Office. Their team is constantly growing and they're always looking for new people to join their mission check out available jobs today at www.jobsatfsc.com that's www.jobsatfsc.com now every week uh, we go ahead and we get into some segments in the show mainstays of the show Uh, the first one is called coach speak where we go over something that a coach player or a talking head said and then we give you the straight up breakdown of what they meant coach speak to real talk um, and this week comes courtesy of the PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, uh, who defended his punishment in an, uh, of the, the players that are leaving for the Live Series uh, in an interview with CBS Sports. And he said this, quote, It's been an unfortunate week that was created by some unfortunate decisions, those decisions being players choosing to violate our tournament regulations, Monahan said. It's my job to protect, defend, and celebrate our loyal PGA Tour members, our partners, and our fans. And that's exactly what I did. And I don't think it was a surprise to anybody, given how clear I had been about how we were going to handle this situation. So, Nick, what does all of this mean as you wear your tailor-made hat? Let's break that down.
0: Um... I, I well, first of all, I, I will commend Jake Jay Monahan for sticking to his guns. Now the question is: Is he going to, is he going to continue to go down that road as more maybe cross over to the Lyft Series? But essentially, mm-hmm. what he's saying right there, uh, I think, is that they've always made it very clear when even there was this uh, World Golf uh, League that was basically kind of like when um, and. and pardon me because I'm not so well-versed on European soccer and the Premier League, but when they tried to create the sort of the Super League, uh, it was very similar to what golf was talking about. And I think that's where the PGA actually got a little bit of uh, notice that there was at least a push for an alternative professional golf league. So I think they sort of laid out and just basically drew the line in the sand that if you even though you're a contractor, which it's dicey, that you can enforce certain things uh that you know we're going to hold you accountable and hold you uh as far as subject to punishment if you decide to play in a different competitive golf league and so i think this was a lot it was a lot of calmness on the pga front while everything was sort of yeah. being Orchestrated by this Live series, and you started to hear, you know, Dustin Johnson, then you start hearing some of the bigger names after DJ, well, not bigger, but he's the big one. And then yeah. you're hearing Sergio, Louis Usted, and Charles Schwartzl. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, Bryson Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed. Oh my gosh, they're they're getting even more. And I think at that point, Jay Monahan and what you heard and what you just read right there, was Jay Monahan saying, okay, now it is time for a statement because we are starting to kind of lose some guys piece by piece. And so we're going to have a baseline punishment. We're going to hold, regardless of status and earning potential, we're going to hold all of our golfers uh, from the PGA that are are heading over there accountable. Now, some of these guys have resigned from the PGA, too, so I don't even right. really know what any of that means. But, uh, look, you know and I know, this is a, a commissioner doing a commissioner thing. He's mm-hmm. trying to make it sound like this is about the fans, that we're doing this <laughs> right. because it's about the fans, when we all know that – when you start losing some of those big names, like a DJ, like a Bryson DeChambeau, uh, you know, even possibly Ricky Fowler, even though he's not golfing very well, some of those names, that hurts you when they're not available at some of your regular PGA events. And that hurts ticket sales that affects the, the purse that the players are getting. So not only does Jay Monahan have to be very wary of this and how he goes forward as far as punishment, but the players currently on the PGA all those guys, even though they are, I love what Rory McElroy said after the RBC no. Canadian win. But I guarantee you, maybe not Rory, but some of the other players are probably at least publicly saying that they're committed to the PGA. But in the in the background, they're keeping an eye on how that Live Series looks because that is a lot of cheddar and a lot yeah. of guaranteed money that the PGA can't offer. So it, I think this is I think this is the the, the first conversation of the first. Statement you're going to hear from Monahan now that this thing is actually happening and players have moved over, but between he and Greg Norman and Rory being the ambassador of, of the PGA and having no problem speaking his mind against the Live Series, I was talking about this yesterday. I think it's great for the sport of golf because not only do you have rivalries within a PGA, now you've got rival leagues, which right. I think is only going to make the sport. It may not make the sport that much better, but it's going to make it more interesting
1: yeah it definitely makes it more interesting because it's something that like we're talking about this now because of kind of this brewing rivalry slash beef and all of the guys leaving um which makes it it just it's all interesting to me because and and i like what you said too about you know there's guys that are absolutely kind of keeping an eye out like they may be publicly saying hey listen i am Mm -hmm. committed to the pga tour right now but they're keeping an eye out to see how this thing goes with the live series because this could go in waves right like Like you have that first or early initial adopter group that kind of goes over and takes the big money to go and leave the PGA Tour. But there are guys kind of watching this to say, well, if this goes well, maybe I should just go ahead and jump. Maybe if it's even not for the same amount of money that some of these guys got. Maybe it's close to it, um, but it would still be better than what I'm doing here, even though it's really weird because golfers like. On average, They make a lot of money, especially once you come into the sponsorships and you can make it yeah. without, you know, getting CTE and having concussions and worry about getting hit, mm-hmm. uh, which is also really a really nice perk. Um, but the type of money that they're throwing around in the live series, like you just can't help but look at it. If you're some of these guys, um, I do. I'm with you. I'm, I love Rory McIlroy and taking the stance that he has and being kind of outspoken about all of this. And you've also seen um, sponsors sponsors have dropped some yeah. of these guys um, that have decided to lo- move over because they've had such longstanding traditions with the PGA. And I wonder in a way if it, it's just been so long and and maybe it, this is the first time really ever that you've had a real solid contender to go opposite the PGA Tour. When you think professional golf, you just think the PGA Tour. Like to say, like you think professional football, you think the NFL. Like some of those other leagues kind of pop up to kind of complement the NFL, but no one's really trying to like actually take Aaron Rodgers off of the Packers and bring him to their football league. It just doesn't happen like that. And,
0: you know, it's interesting because you're dealing with younger guys that are now becoming – new husbands, new fathers, and they want a little bit more of that security with the guaranteed money, which Hey, you know, whether you agree or disagree, and I think a lot of us could probably disagree on where the actual Saudi-backed money is coming from. I mean, look, we know the reputation. And Phil Mickelson speaking out against it, and I I forgot to mention Phil being part of the Live Series too, but Phil Mickelson speaking out against it got him into some hot water. But, I mean, the fact remains that it does come from some unsavory ways. If you can make peace with that, look, you're going into a, a golf league that can guarantee you money that can be good for obviously maybe your rank and file golfers that mm-hmm. don't necessarily have the sponsorship money rolling in. You, you hit a key point though. And Bryson DeChambeau who lost rocket mortgage, mm-hmm. uh, Adidas has been mum and Taylor has been mum about DJ. Um, I, I think there's some discussions that are going on i think you also look at the amount of sponsorships that phil lost now a lot of that was because of phil's words not necessarily Yeah in, that was about in the actual that. league
1: yeah. exactly
0: but if if a lot of these guys start to lose that type of income because that's what these golfers that's their guaranteed money right now is their endorsements now again the rank and file they don't have those those types of endorsements at least to to the tune that some of these other you know top 50, top 100 golfers uh, in the world rankings get. So if you're subject to lose any type of endorsement, yeah, there's that guaranteed money, but is that going to be able to offset what you lose in sponsorship dollars too? That's another big development to keep an eye on when it comes to, okay, going over there and getting the guaranteed money, but am I going to have any sponsorships worth a damn that are going to be able to supplement that type of income? So it's a little bit of give and take there. I I would think, uh, you know, a lot of those sponsors that, you know, have had longstanding relationships with, uh, you know, their current golfers that they are sponsored and endorsing. I would assume that they've already had those conversations and have probably let uh, those individuals know where they stand on their current involvement with the PGA and their potential involvement with a different uh, golf league, especially the live series, because again, that money, where it seems endless, it's sort of a bottomless pit of money. Right. It also is controversial where that money and how that, how that league is being backed too. So there's some things that you obviously have to make peace with if you're going to accept everything there is to accept. And then there's Greg Norman, who is just a character. I mean, he's a character. <laughs> yeah, he's a character a nice and, yeah. and, and and he, he kind of heats things up as well. So uh, this thing, it's weird. We're, we're in a week of a major championship in the U S open this week, mm-hmm. but a lot of the conversation is more about the guys that played in that first event from the live series now mm-hmm. sort of, you know, back coexisting with their PGA, you know, friends and fellows. And, you know, if there's going to be any awkwardness, is, is there going to be any subtle jabs about those guys or this series? Is that going to tick certain people off? I mean, it, it's it's a lot of fireworks, more so than what we would normally have for what is usually a very fun week of golf with the U.S. Open.
1: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! Yeah, we're spicing things up with that, right? Yeah. Like I guess you know, in a way, like we said, it kind of makes things more interesting. But one of the things, man, and this is a whole different topic too within this is that, man, you hit on it, like the where this money is coming from. And I feel like there are two... Two sports now at this point, I feel like where this comes up the most right now, obviously the live series, which we are talking about, but this comes up a lot in European soccer. And listen, I don't follow it like super closely, but I do know that comes up all the time about where like who owns those teams and who's putting the money up behind those teams and where that money comes from. It comes up quite a bit. And I do think it's different, though, because. It's not an American sport, and so it's not – like, we don't have, like, quite the tie as we do to PGA, um, even though because PGA is kind of a – I guess a lower-tier sport, I guess, if you want to term it that way. I still think that that's what's keeping this story from being, like, front-page headline news everywhere. Like, the, the fact that you have a new rival league springing up just buying off top-name players – and you have this controversy around it you have one of kind of the all-time greats and really outspoken guys and greg norman also a part of this um you got roy mcelroy on the other side talking about it. like it it should be um uh, a huge story and it, it's not i don't think the level of story that it probably should be um but it definitely is something that i, I want to keep an eye on because it, it's fascinating to me especially like you said as the backdrop of having the u.s open um right here you know knocking on the door of that so it'll be really interesting to follow this going forward but one of the other things that I definitely wanted to talk to you about today is we're we're the, the heart of the offseason, right, for Nebraska football. And so there's all sorts of things that kind of come up and, and it's been an ebb and flow, and it's been a, to me a really unique off-season when it comes to Nebraska football, because we've gone from I don't know if I've ever seen people feel worse about the future of the program than at the end of that Iowa game to where we've kind of gotten to this point now where people are starting to go, okay, seven, eight wins. Hey, look at the schedule. Like there's some, I just feel like there's a lot happening there. But within that, there's so much newness with this team, whether it's all of the transfers, whether it's assistant coaches, whether it's Scott Frost adjusting his role, if it's, you know, recruiting personnel behind the scenes. And so one of the things I wanted to get into you with today about is, position groups that you feel good or not so good about. So I want to start here. Give me one position group that right now on June 14th at 8.50 in the morning, if you said when we kick off against Dublin, I feel good about this position group right now. Is there one?
0: It's going to sound really odd. And no, I'm not going to offensive line. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I, I am going to stay on the offensive side of the football. And, and, and I'll tell you, last Thursday – hearing this individual speak really put my mind in this spot of, hey, I think this position group is as strong as it has ever been, still without seeing that true breakout player. And you probably know where I'm going. This a running back. Mm-hmm. Hearing Gabe Irvin is 100% healthy. In fact, if, say, spring was maybe two weeks later, there's a good shot that we see him at least in some type of limited capacity in the spring game. And I think that's huge for that that group because you think of it, now you're you're returning two bona fide starters in Ramir Johnson and Gabe Irvin. Unfortunately, we don't know the trajectory of Gabe Irvin because he gets injured in the Oklahoma game. So we don't get to see him in Big Ten competition. But you could tell there was trust being built amongst that coaching staff. Now, granted, he's got two new coaches when it comes to the OC and the running backs coach. But I think what he was able to display as a true freshman, we think about that position with reliability. Can you find someone that you can rely on and give the bulk of the work? And I think Gabe Irvin was trending in that direction. So now knowing that he is 100%, he is all clear. He is a full participant in summer workouts. And as long as there's no setbacks, he's going to be right there when fall camp opens with no limitations. That's huge for him. Then you look at Ramir Johnson, who's been kind of a steady Eddie guy. And when we saw him start against Oklahoma, I think a lot of us were like, what the heck is going on? I mean, did all the guys get sick this morning? Because we right. thought Ramir Johnson was on his way out because he'd been buried in the depth trap. But remember, Ryan helped talked about he was pretty much given somewhat of an ultimatum. And that was either you figure this thing out and pick it up, or you're going to get buried in the depth chart. And we thought it was going the other way. Not only did he make the most of that opportunity to start against Oklahoma – but he was a reliable guy until he dealt with some injuries later in the year. But you got to see him in big 10 competition. You got to see him in some big moments in that Michigan game against a very good defense and the eventual big 10 champion. So I look at the running back room now saying you've got two bona fide starters. And one of those guys, Ramir Johnson, you can use in different ways, regardless yeah. of what ultimately Mark Whipple decides and lands on with this offense. So you've got that. Then you've got Anthony Grant where if you and again, congratulations to him being the the male uh, NJCAA player of the year. That's awesome. I think we're all a little skeptical of junior college running backs because we still have a little bit of the Greg Bell uh, memory in our mind. <laughs> yeah. But I think Anthony Grant has shown that ability to separate. He's got a little bit of that breakaway speed. He seems to be a little bit more of a complete running back. But unlike Greg Bell. And unlike even Diedrich Mills, who took a while, but I think once Diedrich got acclimated into the offense, you could see the, the value and the plus side of, of Diedrich Mills. I think the one thing about Anthony Grant is he's not coming in having to be the guy. I think when Greg Bell came in, we didn't know Divina Zigbo was going to have a breakout the way that he did, but right. it seemed like Greg Bell needed to be the guy. And then Diedrich Mills, after Divina Zigbo leaves, you know, Diedrich Mills needs to be the guy. He doesn't need to be the guy but I think he's going to put himself in the mix to be a very solid contributor for this running back room. So you've got two experienced starters. You've got an exciting new addition with college football experience, albeit at the junior college level. And then I don't want to forget about Jock Yant because Mm -hmm. Jock Yant seems to be in shape and not the shape, you know, not round. seems (laughs) to be in the actual shape he needs to be in right now. And he seems kind of pissed off. He seems like he's got a little Mm -hmm. chip on his shoulder, and he wants to show that he's more than just that Northwestern game. And, And I think that obviously serves him very well. So you've got him. But then, and you probably know this better than I know, a lot of talk about A.J. Allen. A lot of talk. And we already saw a true freshman a year ago in Gabe Irvin win the trust of his coaching staff and teammates to where he could start games. And then you you start to build that development on the field, which as long as you've got a headstrong kid, he knows he's going to take some lumps, he's going to have some bad ones as as much as he's going to have some good ones. If he can take that and continue to develop and head in the right direction, that's huge for him too. So – I look at that room with all kinds of potential. But when we say potential in some of the other positions, it's only that. I right. look at the running back room and say, you still do have two established starters that are returning, uh, knowing that Gabe Irvin is is 100% full go.
1: Yeah, and I think that I, uh, the potential of the running back room, because, and I think part of it is, is that yeah, some of it you still need to see it fully take shape, but there's so many solid options. It feels like that it just feels like they're going to land in a good spot at the running back mm-hmm. position. And the thing that to me that dri- is the driver of all of this is the one thing that you didn't mention, which is Brian Applewhite. I right. think that Nebraska, and I've been, I have been on the at Brian Applewhite bandwagon. Uh, Brian Applewhite also happens to be the subject of my Nebraska football yearbook story this year and kind of diving into like his coaching style and his Mm -hmm. love of learning and all of that, um, which is really fascinating um, to see. But his presence in that running back room And coaching that group up, I think, is exactly what they needed. Because I think this group just needed a different voice and a different style um, and someone to hold them accountable in a different way, the way that Applewhite is going to do and he's done throughout his history. And he's had a lot of success at the college level at multiple stops, big schools, small schools, and everywhere in between. Um, He's always had success. And so I'm fascinated by what he does with this room. And it's funny, you mentioned Jock Yant and kind of being in better shape. You noticed that all of the promotional, like, Um, Conditioning videos or photos Always include him Like somehow like he's always in them Which I think is a really good thing Normally I'd be like oh okay Like who cares about that But him in particular Being in those videos and photos I think is a really good sign for him Um, But I really like that running back room And the way that it's shaping up Like I'm fascinated to see Because I think it's something too where we're going to look up really fast and they're going to have to figure out how to kind of divvy up the carries and get all of the reps to start to install game plan, right? Like once Mm -hmm. they hit ball camp, they're going to have to narrow it down really fast. So you won't actually have a long time. If you're in that running back... Uh, room group and you want to separate yourself, you're only going to have a week or two to really do that before the coaching staff has to say, "Okay, we got to cut this thing off and start to install game plan, which is going to add, I think, a layer of urgency to that. And I think that that's definitely something um, that's going to come up when we talk to coaches early in fall camp.
0: Yeah, if you remember last year, it's kind of the same thing where, you know, Ryan Held kind of identified three guys that seem to sort of separate themselves Mm -hmm. from the pack. And I think there's going to be something similar to that. But I mean, everything we've heard from the spring, Greg, has been about an emphasis on the the running game and hearing how good the the downhill running game was during Mm -hmm. the spring. And again, that's it's it's like the combine. I mean, it's the underwear Olympics. You're going up against your own guys. You know, there's thuds. So we don't really know exactly how effective that could be. And, and, you know, speaking of the segment, you have in coach speak. I mean, it, you know, that's we, we hear that a lot. That, that's right. a lot of coach speak. And we know that a lot of that is going to really depend on what this offensive line can do. And unfortunately, we had some guys that we didn't have a chance to see in the spring because of injuries. So obviously, a lot of it's going to predicate on that part of this offensive line. But I do think that, and this is the evolution, I think, of Scott Frost. You know, you go back to that December 2017 press conference and the, I I would say now, infamous, uh, (laughs) the most famous, infamous uh, quote of, you know, we don't want to have, we don't want to adjust to the Big Ten. We want the Big Ten to adjust to us. Well, they're they're adjusting to the Big Ten now. I I think that's plain and simple. So you're getting physical. You have to get physical up front and you've got to find ways that you can, stay creative with the ground game, but still have an emphasis on doing so and not stray from it. You know, just because Mm -hmm. you have maybe a series that results in very minimal success, you can still be able to feel confident enough that you're going to have that cumulative effect by the third and fourth quarter that you can start to wear on guys. I think there is an emphasis of that. I think Donovan Riola is a guy that understands that and is trying to get that offensive line in that mindset. And that's why I go back to those running backs too. If you do have some struggles out of the gate with that offensive line, I think... I don't know for sure, but I think you've got guys that can mask some of those deficiencies. You can have guys out there that can make guys miss. you got some speed guys that can get to the corner. If you know, you're getting beat up a little bit on the interior. I think there are options there. And I think that's going to be huge. Now, if this offensive line can, they don't have to be massively improved this year. They've just got to be reliable. They yeah, got to be okay. Smooth. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Would be such an improvement to where you can rely on them. So if what we were hearing in the spring, and again, we take it with a grain of salt, uh, it seemed like the guys that were filling in were getting a lot of quality reps. Mm -hmm. And then you start to add in the guys that were not part of spring that you assume are going to be a big part, are going to at least be, you know, getting a lot of snaps, if not starters, I would think most of them are going to be starters like Corcoran and Prochaska. So if all those guys were able to make the most of their reps and then you get guys that have that natural ability that unfortunately were banged up during the spring are going to be able to kind of slide right in. It, it, it could be good. I will never put confidence in the offensive line until I see that for like four straight games and yeah. against good competition, mainly yep. your, your your division. But I do think just a lot of that conversation, Scott Frost knows this too. A lot of the, the hype that he sort of puts out there is going to, be taken with a grain of salt. So I did find it interesting the amount of praise that the O-line was getting in the spring and the down the downhill running game and the downfield running game that we were hearing a lot about defensive court. You know, Eric Chanander talking about how impressive that looked at times too. I, I don't think they're doing that to sort of blow sunshine up everyone's keister right now. I, I right. think they saw something and they couldn't help themselves and they had to bring it up.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that, that it's a, man, if... I think if there's one thing that I really think that could help this program, well, there's several. But I think having that downhill run game and having the offensive line kind of take those steps forward. So like you said, to to just be reliable and like I said, to be okay, um, especially if they can start the season off there. Because one of the things to me um, that's a real wild card about the year is if the offensive line can start at reliable and get better from there right yeah. like it, we haven't really seen that if out of nebraska here in recent years where you feel like that they're a november team right that once they get to november they've hit their stride and they're really in a much better spot than they were when they kicked the season off now they're if they want to hit their ultimate goals for the season they're gonna have to be a november yeah. team uh, because of the way that schedule breaks out um to finish up but it will be really interesting to see how that all comes together and that's something to me that that will be a big key to the year um and i think that you know you were mentioned kind of being okay with going out there and sticking with the running game even if you have a series or two where it doesn't work well which is kind of the hallmark of the big 10 right when you talk about adjusting Mm -hmm. to the big 10 pick a team and they all outside of ohio state seem to do that right where you have you stick with the running game you rely on your specialists to do their job and to pin teams back you play the field position game and then eventually it's going to pop for you Happens all over the league. Nebraska mm-hmm. has to get a little, a lot <laughs> closer to that, which is why I think actually the specialists are the thing to me that while I feel it. It sounds kind of nuts given what we've seen. I feel really good about what Nebraska is going to get out of the kicker and punter position, um, and I'm even hesitant to even say that out loud um, because boy, we've been burned a lot um, when it comes. You can say to that about that. every position, though. We're like, and yeah, that's uh, you the know, thing. This is that, one's good, but I, we we need more proof. I mean, that's that's where this program, unfortunately, is. Right yeah, now. it really is. Because I was thinking about that with wide receiver, right? I was like, man, I really like a lot of the pieces there. Yeah. Like, I need to see some of those guys do it at Nebraska and see him do it consistently but boy, I like the pieces and I really like the coach but then I'm like eh, I feel like I've been burned there before now what is there is there because I agree with you on running back ultimately is there a position where right now you're like okay it's going to be a big fall camp for them it's I mean it's got
0: to be offensive line I know that's probably the the safe and somewhat lazy answer but for a lot of the reasons we're talking about why the running backs could uh, you know, help that area. And it's not, there, there are guys that you feel show promise. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to sure. put all this on, on Greg Austin. I think, look, we can look at Cam Jurgens and say, Greg Austin had a big hand in that developing a guy that went from a tight end. It, you can also give Zach Duvall a lot of credit too with the body transformation, but yeah. a guy that had to go from one position to another that played at an elite level enough to get drafted in the second round, I mean, that's not nothing. It's not. But the collective work, like previous offensive line coaches, has been very inconclusive or inconsistent. And I think when we sort of look for maybe a, a I guess, a, again, just sort of a vague term to describe struggles. We talk about inconsistencies, but I mean, it, it. there couldn't be a better way to describe this offensive line really in probably the last seven or eight years. And that has been, you'll see a guy that looks good. You'll see a guy that is draftable, but then you'll see that guy wear down at the end of the year. You'll see uh, maybe even a couple of guys, whether they're dealing with injuries, they, they don't come back as the same person. They just get beat up. But when's the last time that we can look at from the left tackle to the left guard to the center, the right guard, to the right tackle, and, and even you could throw in a tight end there if he's you know, putting his hand down on the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. and say that those guys have been steady. Those guys have been consistent. Those guys have been reliable. You know, they, they're disciplined. You know, you're not getting a lot of those stupid penalties. You're not getting pre-snap penalties. You're not getting, you know, holds when it wasn't necessary to hold. You you know, just things that you you get a guy that's trying to attack the corner. He goes off for a 20-yard run, and then five yards away from the play, you had a guy that held when he didn't need to. You know, I mean, how many times have we seen that? It's just being able to avoid that type of stuff and be able to initiate a little bit of that nastiness. And and I I don't mean to call anybody out, but I think he has so much talent. He's a large, large human being. And the guy was a state champion wrestler. Bryce Benhart needs to be that guy because think about this. We know about Turner Corcoran and Prohaska. We know what they're trying to do with this offensive line and try to put them in a position that they play naturally. If Bryce Benhart... Can kind of figure it out, and that's a big if. Right. But if he can kind of figure that that out, to me, that sets the table the way it needs to be set with these guys playing in their natural position, and no one having to pick up for him and play out of position. If Bryce Benhart can have a little bit of that nastiness, which I'm sure he had as a wrestler too, not only a, a standout high school football player, and just sort of understand that he belongs. In the Big Ten trenches and the Big Ten line of scrimmage, if he can give you consistency and a little bit of that, again, that nastiness, to me that is the one domino that sets this whole thing in motion where I think this offensive line could be in a really good spot.
1: Yeah, and it's it's so funny because that was exactly the word that I was thinking as you were saying that is that nastiness and how how long it's been since you just felt like when you think Nebraska's offensive line, you should think they're going to be tough, Physical, nasty discipline mm-hmm. maybe i would throw in there yeah, as well hope so um and you don't ever ha- like you just haven't consistently seen that and that's the thing that i think and I, and we have so there's so much talk about the offensive line I'm, I'm always joking that whenever i bring up a recruiting topic offensive line is not far behind and somebody is always ready um and willing to ask me whether or not we should be talking about the offensive line recruiting um and so people are always interested in and, and i think that this is why i, I think it, in part because it this this program is an offensive line program. It's a program where you've got the pipeline and you've got that rich tradition and history Mm -hmm. behind that. But the fan base is hungry to get closer to that. Um, And while it it maybe never will be the pipeline again, you can at least have a physical, nasty, tough group that can go out there and impose their will. I think that that's part of what you ultimately want to get to. But first, you've got to get to that consistency. And I agree with you 100% that I think that Ben Hart kind of unlocked All of this, because if he can, and it's part of one of the things you mentioned about kind of not seeing certain things for the last several years, another one is having just kind of typical progression from guys. So you see a guy like Ben Hart kind of burst onto the scene where he was out there at first, I think that redshirt freshman year, and you didn't think about him. Right. Like it was just like, okay, right. he's out there and that's good. Mm-hmm. You don't notice anything bad happening to all of a sudden you're like, well, man, it doesn't feel like he's, you know, coming out of his stands quick enough. He's not, you know, playing with enough leverage, doesn't set that foot the way that he should. And yeah. you're like, okay, what happened there? So it if, if can Domin Rayola uh, unlock whatever is going on with Ben Hart, because obviously it's there. It's been there. We saw it, right, a little bit. So if you can get Mm -hmm. that and and to take it to another level, I do think that that will help tremendously. But to me, that is the big question mark uh, for the team as well. What happens with this offensive line? Can they find the right five, and can they get to a point to where they start the season off okay to then continue to get better? I think that people will have some patience, and you've got runway there, especially if you can get past Northwestern. You've got some runway there to work some of the kinks out in those next couple of games before Oklahoma comes to town uh, which could set up to be a really big showdown
0: yeah and, you know and we we think of the, some of the additions I mean I know a lot of the, the offseason chatter has been about the transfer portal additions and the skilled position look Nebraska didn't go heavy on the offensive line and I think part of that was by design I think, between Donovan Raiola and Scott Frost and Mark Whipple, I think they look at a group and they say, you know, what Trent Hickson has been able to show, um, you know, knowing that, okay, if we can get a couple Hunter Anthony, and that's not to say they they didn't try to go after more, but I think Hunter Anthony and Kevin Williams, those are guys that are going to be interesting fits, but they're guys that have college football experience. So they have that big boy experience in the trenches where you can use those guys wisely. And again, Mm -hmm. I don't want to make it sound like, this whole future of the offensive line relies on Bryce Benhart, but it just seems like this offensive line is going to be in such a better situation if he's able to kind of bring out what we hope, you know, exists, what we right. hope is still yet to come. And I know you and I have talked about this too, and this is an interesting factor to keep an eye on as we watch Donovan Ryla as a college football coach. And that is mm-hmm. being a Harry Stan student. Yep. Harry Easton, for people who don't know, is one of the great offensive line developers. When he was with Notre Dame, he was with our beloved Chicago Bears. In mm-hmm. fact, I know the, the Chicago uh, fan base and, and a lot of the media were really bummed when they got rid of Uh, Harry Heastan and and Brandon Juan Castillo. That was a a big blow to an offensive line that they felt, you know, was always really developing as far as the young guys they were getting in and the veterans that they had. And he's got a reputation. And Donovan Ryla is sort of a disciple of Harry Heastan. So could there be something to just Donovan's methods that can unlock that from a Bryce Benahart or can get something different out of Turner Corcoran and Teddy Prohaska and Trent Hickson and those guys that you really do expect to be a part of this? And so that's another thing that I'm really interested to see is that development that Donovan Raiola could potentially bring. Again, we don't know if Mm -hmm. that will exist. And I don't, again, want to make this sound like, hey, Greg Austin just flat out didn't develop the guys because he was one of several offensive line coaches that had a couple of wins that had a couple of success stories, but didn't have a collective work consistently to where we can point to. And again, is that all on the coach or is it the player himself? Probably (laughs) a little bit of both.
1: Yeah, it absolutely. Generally, I think I land in it comes down to a little bit of both because uh, you've got to have the want to and the skill from both sides of that. Yeah. Uh, but that's we're driven
0: by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences.
1: Definitely that offensive line situation, um, to me, is the key thing to watch uh, moving forward. And we'll continue talking about that as we go throughout the offseason. But every week we end the show with my favorite segment of the week called Put Them on Blast, where we basically put someone or or something on blast for something that they did or said. Nick, I'm going to allow you to go first this week as the guest. So who are you putting on blast this week? Put them on blast.
0: I I had a lot of different options. Uh, We we talked a little bit about the uh, PGA versus live series. I'll just kind of let that one breathe on its own. Um, Usually maybe something, I think last time I talked to you, I was talking about people double parking in uh, (laughs) in airport uh, parking lots, but I'm going to stay in the sports realm and I'm actually going to go with a guy that I actually like, but he said something in game three of the NBA finals in Boston that I took some issue with and that's Clay Thompson. I like Clay. Uh
1: It's hard. It's It's hard hard not to, to. yeah. Who doesn't like Clay Thompson, right? Like that's right.
0: But, but Clay, sometimes he gets caught up in the moment and there's a little bit of, I think sour grapes after his team loses that yeah, he can look at other things that were maybe involved in the game and really kind of dwell on that. Well, after, the game and the, the game three loss to Boston. The Boston fans, as you would expect, not always the the most courteous and they're they're not Nebraska fans. They're not they're not going to wave and clap for you no. as you're entering the tunnel after a game, whether you won or lost. They're probably going to let you hear it. Well, Draymond Green, we know, draws the ire of a lot of fan bases because of the way he plays. And yes, there was an FU Draymond chant when he fouled out, when he got that sixth foul, uh, when Steph went down. And so they were asked about that after the game. And Clay said something that I just thought was pretty laughable. And he called out the Boston fans and he said, there are kids in the crowd, real classy Boston. (laughs) I just want to say, well, Clay, your teammate, let's go back to that Memphis series. Your teammate was giving the bird to the fans, where there were probably kids in they're the kids, stand. They're, yeah, there, there. Where, where was that? Their kid. Did, I hope you told Draymond Green after the game in the locker room, "Hey, buddy, you got to knock that off because there's kids in the stands. Look, you can call out a fan base and call them classless, but please, it's eleven o'clock on the East Coast." The kids that are there, they know what they're probably around. And heck, if they've been going to Boston Celtic games, they're probably used to it anyway. Do not use the kids as an excuse on why a fan base should behave a lot better. When you, your teammates, Draymond Green, has no problem flipping the bird at any fan, whether it's a kid or not, and then he goes back after the the game is actually – Supportive of what he did and having no remorse whatsoever of flipping off the fans. Again, make sure your backyard's clean before you start going after. And don't use the kids. Please don't use the kids as an excuse on why a fan base should be classier. He should know better because he plays with Draymond Green.
1: And he also plays in a, sp- in a spot that has had their own issues. I don't know if you saw it. It was floating around on Twitter w- of some of their fans. And there was a female fan that really got, I can't even repeat what she said um, on this. This is a, a PG-13 podcast. I can't re- I can't repeat it. What she said to LeBron James as he was coming off the court, I think it was during that Cleveland, uh, one of the Cleveland Warriors finals. Um, and so, no, you can't do that, especially given all of the context of who he plays with uh, and what just recently happened as well. Like, I, I with you, like using the kids uh, as an as an excuse, there is wild, especially yeah. considering yeah. they go to Boston games. Like, I mean, where do you? How do you think the adults that that end up being in those situations get like that? They started going to those Boston games with kids, <laughs> right. like that's how right. they got there. So, like, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Very well deserved. Put them on blast, uh, Clay. I, I love like, even Clay. I love Clay. He's on. great in his dog. Yeah. Like they're great. Like he's always on a boat. Like Clay's a good dude. He's funny. Uh, but I'm with you. They do have a, an element of kind of south grapes when they lose um and frankly yeah. i thought that when he pulled that out and went to that i thought they were going to lose the series i thought that was one of those like hey they, they're kind of admitting admitting mentally that they're just not like ready to beat boston but now they're up three one as, as we record up three two as we record this um so they they might be on their way as we could have game six clay uh on the way uh for this mm-hmm. next game uh but for me i'm gonna actually i'm gonna stay in the nba and i'm actually gonna go there's someone that I like as well, interestingly enough, on my Los Angeles Lakers, and that's Anthony Davis. Now, he has been in the news these last couple of days because for some uh, unbeknownst reason to me, he decided to come out and actually admit that he has not shot a basketball since I think he said April 5th, April 6th, whenever it was he went down um, with that injury. Now. I understand that J.J. Reddick went on TV, who's been great on TV, by the way, J.J. Reddick. Mm-hmm. Yes, he um, has. Something I never thought I would say that I actually oh. like J.J. Reddick. Who saw that coming? And I also <laughs> like, I like that he kind of leans into that um, and has kind of yeah. poked fun at it, too. It's really great. That's a whole different subject. Um, but he went on and said, hey, this is totally normal. Like, A.D. has a regimen in the offseason. He needs to be working on his body anyway because he need- availability has been his issue. And I get that. Totally understand, and I'm not necessarily here to say that a professional athlete who's on a max contract and is a champion now, um, I know better than that guy, but that means I'm going to say I know better than him, right? Why not switch the regimen up? I'm just saying you played 40 games last year, you barely shot a basketball during the season last year, and you probably need to pick it up and you could still work on your body while you're shooting the ball in the offseason like one of the like really kind of <laughs> the things that worries me as a Laker fan about like kind of hitching our wagon to Anthony Davis are is things like this. The thing mm-hmm. that you question with Anthony Davis has nothing to do with his basket on court basketball talent when he's out there, right? I think that when he's at his peak, he's close to a top five player in the league. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that you kind of get this feeling that he's just, and not everybody has to be LeBron James and be that level of dedicated because if, there's a spectrum there, but he's not, you don't get the feeling he's anywhere close to that, right? And that's Agreed. kind of the worry with being the guy, like him being the guy that you traded everything away for are that you're really building your current franchise around with LeBron and your future, because in the future, at some point, LeBron James isn't going to be there anymore. And you're going to bring another superstar in because just what the Lakers do, but you're going to have to end up being able to rely on Anthony too. And I think it's things like this that really make you nervous about building around him in the long term and trying to maximize LeBron James championship window in the short term. He's got to go on blast for that because I I just hope that you change up the regimen a little bit because you haven't been out there enough. Got to go on blast.
0: Well, and the thing is, you know, you always talk about if it's not broke, you know, why fix it? Well, I don't want to say it's broke, (laughs) but... Hasn't been the same type of return on investment that I think Lakers fans thought they'd have. And again, injuries are injuries, but I I hear what you're saying there, where this is something where, you know, these guys, once they get to a certain age, you feel like, all right, it's not maybe as important uh, as far as you know shot volume in the off season or the amount of reps but it's not like Anthony Davis is at the end of his career either right. i mean this is a young yes. dude <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: he's still, no, living, he's still under 30 right like yes, yes. So, so yeah we... <laughs> not, tough, it's not it's not a bad one that's not a bad one at all no, that's it's tough. It, it it makes me nervous because you have to have those two, both of those guys have to be out there and healthy. But otherwise, what are we doing? Like the the rest of the parts, yeah. by the nature of what they traded and their contracts, the rest of the parts, and then I guess Russell Russell Westbrook and that situation, the rest of the team around them is just not mm-hmm. there. Can only be so good unless you get a little bit lucky. So you you got to have both of them out there full go. We'll see how it goes. I like the hire Darvin Ham, Um, and so we'll see how it goes. But Anthony Davis, man you, you got to go on blast for that. I hope he gets back in the lab. Maybe LeBron can yell at him after he gets done drinking his own tequila. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, subscribe to the podcast everywhere you listen to them. Appreciate you guys watching us on YouTube as well. Why, rate us and leave us a five-star review. If you only leave four, I'm inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that. Make sure you're checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own Podcast, the Varsity Club, Nebraska Prep's post-game show, and the Hill Varsity radio show. Speaking of YouTube, make sure you're checking out the Hale varsity youtube page uh subscribe uh to the channel as well uh so you make sure you get all the notifications uh, when things go live i'll be back on there with more recruiting content and you can find us on twitter at greg smith hb and at nick espn 590 i'll catch y'all next week a Huda media production